Thank you for engaging today's message with Wind River Community Church. Our prayer for you is that you will encounter Christ and grow in your relationship with Him. May this encourage you in connecting with other people who follow Jesus as well as knowing you are not alone. If you would like prayer, please text us at 307-240-8742 or if you would like more information about this program or past messages, visit our website at windriverchurch.com. I look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life. And now, here is today's message. A few years ago, um, our uh, Rocky Mountain District office put on a uh, continuing education leadership training event um, around the state. And so I went and participated in that event, and the teaching was really great. But after our first day of teaching, um, we decided we were all going to go for dinner. And so we asked the local pastor, we said, hey, what's a good place to go and eat dinner? And he says, well, here's my favorite spot to go to. And so we all jumped in our cars and Googled it and found the address and we got there. And when, when we pulled up in front of this building to where the restaurant was to go eat, I sat in my car and I looked at the restaurant and I said to my friend that was sitting with me, I said, is it too late to go somewhere else? I made, I made a decision about the restaurant based on the outside of the restaurant and what I could see. And what I could see, this wasn't a place where I felt like I was going to get good food. And by the way, pastors value their food. They like to eat. Have you ever seen or heard of pastors? They're well fed. Believe me. So... He's like, well, I don't know. Everybody else is sitting right here. If we drive off, it's going to look pretty bad that we're the only ones driving off and going. So I said, okay, let's don't judge a book by its cover. Let's go in. Is that what you're saying? He said, yeah. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, the worst thing did happen. The food was horrible. I mean, it was just the most ridiculous thing. The food was bad. The service was bad. The ambiance was bad. Everything was bad about the whole thing. Guess what I don't ever do anymore? I don't ask that guy where's a good place to eat because he doesn't know a good place to eat. He knows a place where you can get cheap food that'll fill you up, but it ain't good food. It isn't even fast food. It was just bad all the way around. So his recommendation doesn't sit well with me. I'm not, I'm not asking. Now, listen, I had a bad experience with him giving me bad advice about a good place to eat. But that doesn't mean that all the advice that he has to give is all bad. So I, I don't completely distrust him, but I don't completely trust him. And, and so those are the kind of things that we're looking about. And I'm, you know, I think you are probably the same way. If you go to a new town, who are you going to ask for a good place to go eat? Somebody's got a license plate from Mississippi? or somebody that's got a local license plate. You want to ask the person that knows, because they don't always have to look great, because I've been in some really fabulous restaurants that just don't look like they're going to crack up to be much, but they turn out to be absolutely wonderful. As we come back to our study from John chapter 4, the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, I think that this woman, as we've been studying her and listening to what she has to say, I think that she has kind of a, she's kind of cynical about life and relationships. 
most of the relationships that she's known were somehow less than what she thought they were going to be. I think that when, like many of us, when we're small or when we're in our late teens, we have a vision of what our relationships are going to look like. And, and, and we, we put it out there that the, all of these relationships that we have around us would be fostered around maybe mutual love and respect. And I believe that this is what the, the, the Samaritan woman really had in mind in her own heart when she forged these relationships. I also think that this woman grew up in this town that she's from. I don't think she ever, because most people just grew, uh, were born, grew up, and lived, married, had children, and died in the same town. They never traveled anywhere. They just, they just were there doing their own thing. And so this lady probably had girlfriends that she grew up with. She probably knew most of the people in her small town. And, and, and then she, was, she had this idea about what these relationships were going to look like. And she probably put a pretty high expectation on how these relationships would play out in her whole life. But the problem is, is that once she put those high expectations of what it was going to look like, most of them probably came in woefully short of what was what she was thinking. The reality was different than the expectation. And so here she is. She's highly disappointed with all the relationships she's been in. I, I think that she's even cynical about her relationship with God. She reveals that she worships different than Jesus does in the conversation. You worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. We believe in the first five books of the Bible, but we don't have the rest of it. And Jesus says, what you know and what you worship about God is incomplete. You don't have the full picture. And she's probably agreeing because everything that she has come to know about God, because it's not a full picture of God, you don't have the full understanding of who God is, then what you know about God is incomplete. And she's probably disappointed with what she knows about God. So her whole life, it is a disappointment. So now she's at this well and she's coming with a cynical spirit. That's the thing about Jesus. He can detect every kind of spirit that we walk with. We can't fool him. We can't hide it from him. It's just he sees beyond the veneer of our exterior. He sees us for who we really are. And, and as she walks up to the well, she identifies him as a Jewish man, not just by the, the um, accent that he might have, but by the way he's dressed. He dressed different than they did. So she knew he was Jewish. And with this cynical spirit, she's probably thinking to herself, I don't care what this Jewish man has to say. I'm not interested because there's no way he can say anything that's going to benefit my life. And then Jesus enters into a conversation, a real conversation, a deep conversation, one that she's never had before. And in a matter of a few moments of this conversation, her life is absolutely transformed. It's absolutely changed from top to bottom. And, and I think that that's what happens when anybody truly encounters Jesus for who he is. A true encounter with Jesus will always result in a radically changed life. This woman had a radically changed life. 
Now, I'm not saying that when you come to faith in Christ that every aspect of your life is radically changed because you're probably a, a Wrangler jeans kind of a person. And you get your life radically changed by, by Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're now going to be wearing skinny khaki pants. I mean, that'd be pretty radical for some of you cowboys. You know, you're going like skinny jeans. I thought those were for girls. And <laughs> from a guy who doesn't wear Wranglers. But here's what I'm talking about in the transformation. Is that real encounter, when it comes through Jesus, your heart, your words, your behavior are so radically different than they used to be that the people that you know might even say out loud, what's happened to you? There's a noticeable difference about what happens. And this woman at the well, she was transformed by Jesus. And that, that transformation was because she had an authentic encounter with Christ. And because she, she had this authentic encounter with Jesus, it absolutely changed who she was. Every aspect of her was absolutely changed. But it's not just this transformation of our inner person that takes place when we come to meet Jesus. It, it's a change of our desires. It, it's a change of the way that we live our life. It's the way that we talk, the way that we behave. It's absolutely even the way that we think has, has absolutely been transformed by, by Jesus because he's the living water that gives us new life. And the thing is, is we want other people to know and to experience what we've experienced with Jesus. So this morning we're going to go back and we're going to look at the spiritual and relational makeover that the Samaritan woman had after she had a true encounter with Jesus. It's going to take us to verses 28 and 29 of chapter 4 of John. It says that the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. I just want to stop right there. Because she left her water jar there, those were valuable. You, you just can't go down, you know, to Ace and pick up another water jar. These, these were things that you just couldn't easily get your hands onto. So that's the indication that she's coming back to have more conversation with Jesus, but, but, but Jesus has done something in her life so radical that she leaves it behind and she runs back to the village, and this is what she says, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? This is, this is the relationally cynical woman who was absolutely the social outcast by the women of her town, she was seen by the men as being a lady of a sordid status within the community. Nobody really liked her. Nobody really wanted to be caught talking to her. She, she gave off an aura uh, about her that, that was just repulsive to most people. Whether it was true or not, she had the perception of being that kind of a person. And she goes out to the well at noon to get her water because nobody else wants to be with her. And she doesn't doesn't want to be with them because they treat her so poorly. Why hang around with people that make you feel worse than you already feel about yourself? 
So she's going to go by herself. It's better to be by myself than be with a bunch of people that are talking about me behind my back in front of my face. They just, she doesn't want to be there. So she goes out and she bumps into Jesus. Chance meeting with Jesus. And it's the most beautiful picture, I think, of what God does in hearts of people because she came out with a cynical spirit towards everything. And I believe Jesus recognized that in her, saw that in her. And, and when she went out, Jesus did something so radical in her life, changed her to the deepest level of her life, that when she finally got her breath and she realized the, the work that God had done in her heart, she couldn't contain herself, so she went back to town from this chance meeting with Jesus, and there was obviously a radical change that had taken place in her life because it was noticeable to the town people because when she went back into town, she was able to get everybody's attention. She was standing probably in the city square where selling and trading went on. And she walked in, and there's something so different about her that when she goes to speak, everybody listens. Nobody's saying anything harsh. Nobody's saying anything mean. Probably they're not saying anything because they are so overwhelmed by what God has, by whatever has happened in her. There, there is such a change. She might have been what I would call Eeyore. Ho-hum, diddly-dum, nothing good is ever going to happen. My life is going to be rotten. I will never be any better. Nobody will ever love me. Ho-hum. And she came back different. I really think that when a, person's, when a person's life is so profoundly altered by Jesus, her response is the only response you can really have. Come and see the one who did in my life what no one else could ever do. Come and see. Back at the beginning of the Gospel of John, when Jesus was calling his disciples to him, he had called Philip, and Philip came and followed Jesus. And after Philip spent a little time with Jesus, he, he was so overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus that he had to go tell his brother Nathaniel. And here's what it looks like in John chapter 1. Philip found Nathaniel and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. That's the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one everybody had been anticipating the one everybody had been looking for, the one that was supposed to come and make a difference. So Philip says, this is him, this is the guy. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and so <laughs> Philip says, well, come and see. Jesus is, Jesus is so amazing. Jesus has so much to offer. Jesus does such miraculous things that you can't explain it. All you can do is say, come and see it. You have to see for yourself because your heart's going to be changed. I, I think that Nathaniel, he wasn't cynical. He was skeptical. You know the difference between a skeptic and a cynic? 
The skeptic says, I don't have enough information to believe. I need more information before I can step into whatever this is that you're asking me to believe. The cynic says, I have all the information I ever need, but I still don't believe. That's the difference. Nathaniel was skeptical. And this, this thing about Jesus, whatever this thing is about Jesus, it's hard to really put your finger on it, is what sets him apart from anybody else that's ever walked on planet Earth, from every political leader, from every spiritual leader, from, from the, the best of the best to the worst of the worst. This is the one thing that sets Jesus apart from everybody else. There's a real, realistic preeminence about Jesus that if someone is truly seeking after Jesus, they really want to know who he is. They come to him and they're looking for him and they encounter him for the first time. They are so deeply moved by Jesus that it changes every aspect of their life. And I know that there's objections to that because you probably know people who have said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. We've heard it all said before. We know people like that. Matter of fact, the Bible records a guy who didn't just know Jesus, he walked with Jesus for three years. He walked right beside him. He was with Jesus when Jesus healed the lame man and had him walk. When the blind man couldn't see and Jesus touched his eyes and he gave him his sight back. He actually participated in that, that miracle where Jesus took two Two loaves and five fish, broke them, blessed them, and, and passed them out, and fed 15,000 people. Now, the Bible records 5,000 because it only recorded the men. But you've got to remember, the men would have brought their, their wives, their girlfriends, their children. They would have all been there. About 15,000 people got fed by five loaves and two fishes. I think I said it backwards the first time. That's because I'm dyslexic. So, he's watching all this. He's there the day that Jesus goes... Lazarus, come out from that tomb. He was dead. He was wrapped in burial clothes. He'd been dead for four days. And Jesus called him to life. And this guy stood right there and watched the whole thing happen. And yet, when it came to crunch time, he's the one who didn't believe in Jesus as the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was looking for someone who was going to Save them from the tyranny of the Roman government. He was the one that was going to come along. He, he was looking for somebody else other than Jesus. So he wasn't looking for Jesus to be his savior. You know him as Judas. We have Judases that live among us. They're cynical. They have all the information that they need to know about Jesus. They, they have heard, they have read, they have witnessed that He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who transforms the life. He's the one that takes the, 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 the um, blind and gives them sight. He's the one that does all the miraculous things. They see that and they still don't believe. But I will tell you this. That if you are curious about Jesus, even to the point where you're saying, is he really the way, the truth, and the life? If you come with a heart desiring to seek the truth about who Jesus is, he will reveal himself to you and your life will be radically changed. 
somehow we as Christ followers need to do a little bit of show and tell with Jesus. But it's really a little bit more difficult than the Samaritan woman because she went back into town and she said to everybody, come and see, come and see. And it's a little bit more difficult for us to say to people, come and see because Jesus isn't here in flesh. The Holy Spirit's here. So how do we have them come and see? Well, Jesus kind of gave us an inkling of that in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see that right there? Let your light shine to others so that they can see. Your light has to shine. The light of Jesus that's been deposited in your soul has to be seen by others in, in order for someone else to go like, that's from God. I'm going to give God the glory for that because that's a transformed life. And, and that's our way to say, come and see. It's by making sure the light of Jesus is seen by all those who are seeking Jesus so that they will come to know Jesus as the light of life for themselves. So the come and see first is show. Show the people in your life how Jesus transformed your life. And that comes deep from the stirring within of the living water that Jesus is for us. The tell part of show and tell of Jesus, as Peter said to the church, is, is found in 1 Peter. He said, Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, but get this, get this. Are you looking at this? You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. You don't worship him as a God. You don't worship him because he provides for you. You don't worship him because you hope he's going to help you to, to win the lottery ticket. You worship him as, Christ, as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you, because when you worship him as Lord of your life, now you have a hope. You have a greater hope for tomorrow than you have for today. That's every day. So if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. See, there's the tell part. We show them by the light in our life what Jesus has done, and that's the show. And the tell part is always be ready to give an explanation about the hope that we have in Jesus. But we have to do this in two ways. We do it gently and respectfully. Listen, the Word of God is never meant to be used as a billy club to beat somebody up. It, it, it's meant to be the, the, the soothing balm of Jesus that brings healing to somebody's life, that gives them hope for tomorrow, that helps them to walk differently today than they did yesterday. That's what's supposed to happen, because when we do that, that'll help you to keep a clear conscience, and then if people speak out badly against you, they'll be ashamed of what they said when they see the goodness of God working out in your life because you belong to Christ. That's the show and tell of our life. The invitation that we need to extend to others is that very same thing that the Samaritan woman said. She said, come and see. It's a result of our ability to show and tell. 
It's most effective when our actions, that's the show side, match with our conversation, that's the tell side. And that results when we have a greater understanding of what Jesus has actually done for us. And like the woman at the well, there is something about the way that Jesus comes, has come and met us at our deepest need, where the pain of our life is still bringing agony and discomfort into our world on a regular basis. And that could be on a relational thing. That could be a physical thing. It could be a mental thing. It could be a financial thing. Whatever it is, wherever that pain is, is manifesting itself in your life, Jesus doesn't come around the back door. He comes straight at it because when he comes straight at whatever it is that's bringing you that kind of pain and he identifies it and he talks to you about it, he has one purpose in mind for that so that you find healing. Because when you are healed from those kinds of things, then the next thing that happens in your life is you find freedom. There's nothing greater than finding freedom. Jesus wants to bring complete healing in every area of our lives. When we experience that widespread and comprehensive healing in our lives, we have, if I can say it this way, we have a, a witness about what Jesus has done. What has Jesus done for you? Do you have a witness? Ever since Jesus has manifested himself in the flesh and dwelt among us from that very moment till now, 2,000 plus years, there have been through the ages thousands of people that have given a witness about the transforming work of Jesus in their lives. A guy by the name of John Newton gave such a testimony. We know it because here's what he said. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's the witness of a person who's had a radical connection with Jesus and their life is completely transformed. They can't help themselves. They can't be quiet. They're going to talk about it. They're going to shout about it. They're going to let other people know. Here's the problem. We often think that we need to have some good theology in order for us to give a, a witness to somebody. But a witness isn't about theology. A witness is about what God has done in your life to transform you from who you used to be to who you are now. And that's all you have to do is say, come and see the man who did an amazing thing in my life. You know, we've gone through the 21 days of prayer three times here at our church. This August is going to be the fourth time. And, and every time we go into 21 days of prayer or 21 days of prayer and fasting, God is moving in people's lives like you would never believe. People are being healed. Relationships are being restored. Businesses are finding new life. God is working and transforming people's lives in this community, in this church community, in this family. God is doing miracles. Matter of fact, 
um, Lorinda and I, during 21 days of prayer and fasting, we were, I didn't tell her what I was praying and fasting about. She didn't tell me what she was praying and fasting about. And yet, God answered our prayer and performed a miracle. Our oldest daughter, Leela, has had trouble her entire adult life getting pregnant and staying pregnant. It's been, it, it's been devastating. It's not just to her, but to the whole family. Because she's a really good mom. God made her to be a mom. And she's really good at it. Well, the good news is we found out yesterday that she is pregnant and she's going to have a baby boy in September. God has kept that pregnancy going. You know why? It wasn't because of chance. It wasn't because, well, it finally happened and it finally took hold. It's because there were people who were praying that God would do something in her womb to hold life. And God answered that prayer. I just don't know what we're going to do. We got more grandkids than fleas on a dog. I mean, when God said, be multiply, be fruitful and multiply, our kids are doing it. I mean, like we're up to eight right now with this, the two little gaffers that are coming. And, and God has been merciful. He's given me just as many boys as girls. Some of you parents should be going, Amen. What has Jesus done for you? What's your witness? Over the ages, you know, we've seen that happen. But what, what really is in encouraging to me is that the result of experiencing the living water, here's what Jesus does. He's the living water. He rescues. He redeems. He transforms. He creates new life. Paul told his young apprentice, Timothy, he wrote him a letter to encourage him and tell him how to lead a church of nut job <laughs> church people. Not that you guys are that way at all. <laughs> Not all of you anyway. So here's what he said to Timothy. He said, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. Here it is. But set the believers an example, get it, in five things. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Those five things are the things that we set an example, not for the outside world, because Paul isn't telling Timothy to set an example to non-believers. You know why you don't set this kind of an example for non-believers? Because their hearts have not been redeemed by Jesus. They haven't been restored. And so when you try to set this example before them, they look at you and go, who are you, a little too goody two-shoes? You're more holy and righteous than everybody else? I mean, the truth is, because of what Jesus has done, you could say, well, absolutely, yeah, because it's not my righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ. But, but we're to remind each other about what the living water of Jesus does in our lives. He, he's the one that changes our conduct, our speech. He's the one that infuses our faith, our love, and our purity so that we, we get to set that out for other people so that they become these examples. 
But, but one of the things that we deal with is that it's hard for us to demonstrate that in our lives. And a lot of times, rather than taking the step forward to step into it and to trust God to help produce that in our lives, we take a step backwards and we operate in the flesh. And when we operate in the flesh, we do as James, the half-brother of Jesus, said to the church. He asked the church a question. He said, does spring... Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No, he says, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. In other words, what he's saying is salty water comes from a salty spring just like salty words come from a salty heart. Jesus said it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if it's a salty heart, it speaks salty words. Also, your conduct will give away your true inner self. That's why it's so important to be aware of how your conduct and words are being set forth in, in, in our community outside of us because they will either confirm what you believe or they will be a witness against you. Our speech and conduct will cause others to wonder about our commitment to Christ. On one hand, it could be a positive thing that they're wondering. Why does this person love Jesus so much? Why is their life so transformed? Why does it look like Jesus is blessing them all the time? Or it could be on the other side of the coin and it could come across as negative because of the conduct that we, we take, the words that we say, it leaves those people scratching their head and they're going, so I don't get why they go to church. I don't get why they talk about Jesus because their life isn't any different than my other friends who are non-religious and they live like animals. And they're both basically the same. There's no difference. Jesus often says things in a very simplistic way, but just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's not complicated and complex to, to actually live out in our own lives. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples in, in chapter 13 of John. He said, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. That's not the new part. Here's the new part. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another, get this, here it is. Your love, the way you love everybody sitting in this room, the way that you love the people that go to other churches that love Jesus, the way that you love those people will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It, it, it's not your theological understanding. It's not the doctrine that you've got your head wrapped around. It's not how many times you go to church. It's not how much money you give to the church. It's not how often you serve in the church. The one thing that, 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 that Jesus says proves you are really my disciples, proves that you've had a heart transformation, proves that you've had a radical change in who you are, is the way that you love one another. And I am sometimes just saddened at the fact that there are Christ followers who treat each other so poorly. It's disheartening as a pastor because it's like one person will perceive that another person is snubbing them in some way or another. So they hold on to that little nugget of, of lies 
and, and, and they build an entire case against the other person. I will never be with that person. I can't stand that person. They're the worst person in the world. They're, they're just horrible. I don't know any... Why? They, they can't be a Christian. Do you see the way they act? Do you know that they gossip about other people? Do you know how bad they are? They're the worst person. And they go on and gossip about the other person. And they do all these things. And, and what it does is they don't understand is that then... One day they come to church and on this table there is set uh, the juice and, and the bread which represents Jesus' blood and his body. And, and the Bible makes it clear that in order to come to this table, you need to have all your relationships right. The one with God first and then the one with each other. And if, you, if any of these relationships are out of sync, Jesus says, don't touch it. Because you could bring condemnation to yourself. But because we think we're so righteous in our stance, because that person, that other Christ follower, is such an idiot, I can't believe God allows him to take another breath on this planet. He should just zip him up to heaven. Do us all a favor. The problem with that is all that behavior, and it goes on. The problem is, our non-believing friends are watching us all the time. They have their eyes on us. They have their ears on us. And the thing they walk away from is going like, I don't even know why I should go to church. I don't even know why believing in Christ is such a big deal because it doesn't seem to make a difference in my friends' lives. But when we love each other the way that Jesus loves us. Our lives will bear witness to the greatness of Jesus and his work in our lives. That's what the citizens of Sychar experienced with a woman who was once the most despised person in town. And now there's a new person. Same name, same address, same pile of mistakes from her past. But now she has a new outlook on life. She has a new message to give. She has a new expression on her face and a new witness. And here are the results of her witness to her neighbors. Verse 30, real simple. And they went out of town and were coming to him. That's Jesus. Because of what the woman said, the message that she brought to them, there was something about her demeanor. There was something refreshing about her witness, the words she was speaking, the way she was talking to people, the brightness in her eyes, the joy in her heart, the cheer of her life. It, it was so transforming that, that there was this thing taking place that, that, that just made the people go, we can't stand in town knowing that a half a mile away from us is a man who told you everything we believe. And so they, they pour out, they stream out of the city gates to go see Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples are standing at the well and there's hundreds of people streaming, making their way towards Jesus. And Jesus sees that this is a teachable moment for his disciples. And so he takes advantage of this teachable moment and he says to his disciples, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps 
is receiving wages and gathering the fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and the other reaps. In other words, Jesus is going like, the woman that was here that I told her about her life, I pointed her to the Father, I told her that I was the Messiah, I told her I was the only one that could save her from herself, I was the only one that could come and love her the way she needed to be loved. I gave her every hope in the world and you know what she did with that? She turned around, she ran back to the city and now because of her testimony, hundreds are now coming. And now we are going to reap a harvest because of one person. One person's life who was radically changed by Jesus said, you've got to come and see this man. There's going to be a harvest of souls waiting to be gathered up for the kingdom of God so that they know the love of, the, the love of Jesus. Verse 39 says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. As they came by the droves to hear, they, they, they knew Jesus was out there. They're going, we're not going to sit in here and listen. We're, we're going out there. We want to hear what this guy has to say because what he has to say is highly important to my life. And so they go streaming out there and they go to see him and most of them are probably coming to Jesus as skeptics. They were coming and they were, they were, curious, they were, they were curious about this man who told her everything, who gave her a, 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 an idea about the the coming of God's kingdom to earth, and, and, and she believes in him. It, it, so they went charging out to see Jesus, and they were changed from being skeptics to believers. And it was because of the witness of one life radically changed. Verses 41 and 40 through 43. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because... Of what you have said, we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And after two days, he departed from Galilee. Here's what happens. They meet Jesus through the witness of the woman. Even though Jesus is only a half a mile away, many lives are transformed by the witness of one. But then they realize that he's still out there. He's a Jew, and they're Samaritans. And he's breaking all kinds of barriers. He's knocking them to the ground. And he's saying, this isn't about, about race. This isn't about gender. This isn't about social economics. This isn't about anything except one thing. Your soul in the kingdom of God. And so they go out to see them. And she's the one that said to him, you need to come and see, because he's the one that redeemed my life. Now I know what love is for real. Now I know what acceptance is all about. I've never had that in my entire life. And this man loves me for who I am. And he has changed my life. And he has accepted me. And now I am a child of God. This is a wonderful lesson on the process of spiritual growth. Many come to Christ by believing the testimony of others. They see what God has done in another man or woman's life. They are affected by it and they believe. 
But that's not the end of this new spiritual growth. When you come, there is a new level of personal experience. You believe because it happened to you as well. And after two days, Jesus left them. Jesus stayed with the Samaritans for two days. That was unheard of. And by the way, this ragtag bunch of Samaritans who would have no business going to Jerusalem to worship God, they found God through Jesus. Their entire village was utterly and completely transformed for the kingdom of God. And they made a declaration about Jesus that the Jews who were looking for the Messiah never said once about Jesus. And they said, he is the savior of the world. He's your savior. He's your neighbor's savior. He's the savior of Lander. And it all comes down to this. A, a life that is radically transformed by the power of Jesus. When that happens, you can no longer keep it to yourself. You can no longer keep still about it. You have got to tell somebody. And I'm, I'm just wondering, has Jesus radically changed your life? Are people going like, I know that's you because you're wearing your Wrangler jeans. But what I hear and what I see from you tells me you are totally somebody different, somebody new, somebody changed, somebody transformed. How did that happen? Can you tell me? Because we tell them to come and see. It's the show and tell, the come and see. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Um, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed because I know that maybe for some of you this morning, you've never really had that radical change in your life. You've never really said to Jesus, you need to come in and do something radical to change the way I think, change the way I talk, to change my behavior, to to, to redeem my life because it's a mess right now and I need your help. If that's the case, I want you just to pray this prayer quietly to yourself on your inner being. Just say, Lord Jesus, my life is a mess. I know I've sinned against you. I've been a skeptic, but now I want to believe. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, to redeem my life, to take control of my life, and give me new hope where I had none. I ask you to be my Savior, the Lamb who takes away my sin, and to restore within me a right relationship so that I'm a new creature, beloved by the Father. I ask you to do this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. And for the rest of us, there, there are some of you who are saying, like, my conduct, my speech doesn't line up with what I tell other people. I, I just need Jesus to come and do a greater work in my life to help me to be who I say I am, to help me to live a life that reflects the glory of Jesus. If you want, if that's you, and you just, you just want me to pray for you, just slip up your hand so I can see that. Stick your hand up. Yep, I see that one. Yep, yep. See that hand? I see that hand. Yep, at the back. Yep. Father, I thank you this morning that you, you're true to your word, that you say that when your word goes forth, 
it'll bring back a harvest of right living. And so for every person that raised up their hand, for those who even didn't, their, their, their heart was stirred this morning because they know that, that they've been radically changed and they've got a witness. They just need to express it. I pray that you would encourage them to just tell, show and tell people about Jesus. Come and see, show and tell. And for those who'd raised their hand just now, I would simply ask God that you would come and you would work in their hearts, that you would help them, that they would trust you to take them to the next step, to the next level, that they would grow deeper in love with you, and that their relationship would be just spurred on by you, Holy Spirit, that you would do more in their life than they ever imagined could ever happen, and that you would get the glory for it, and that the people around them would say, look how they love Jesus, they must belong to him. Look how they love one another. That's the identification of that relationship. So we thank you that you're doing that. And may you be blessed and glorified this morning, we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.